Hi everybody, welcome to Did You Bring Earplugs, a musical misadventure with me. My name is Julian Suga. Who are these other people and what are you doing here? No, just just who are you? I'm Sasha. I'm Michael. I'm Jillian. Uh, guys, it's been it's been a minute since we last recorded slash released an episode. I have it down here. I, I, I did some some really intense research. And the last episode that we posted was on May 26th, the halcyon days of May 26th, when wow. not we were so much young. was different. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's been a little while. Uh, so we thought, why yeah. not create a little bit of synergy with our, our unintentional hiatus and, and talk about our favorite comeback albums. Uh, so real quick, before we get into it, I just want to set the ground rules for the listener. Uh, we're defining favorite comeback albums uh, under three criteria. Uh, so either uh, an album following either an announced breakup or hiatus, which we did neither of those, just sort of happened. Um, an album following a string of universally disliked albums or an album following a five plus year period of relative activity. So you know there needs to be like a like a real a real vacuum a need for so, mm-hmm. an act or an artist or a band to return. So that's what we're talking about today. And I nominate Mike to start. Ooh. Oh, look at that! Oh, uh, so my uh, comeback album that I picked is "Physical World" by Death from Above, nineteen seventy nine. Um, they were really, I mean, they only put out one album back in 2004, um, Romantic Rights, and they really like had a meteoric rise to fame. They ended up touring with, uh, Nine Inch Nails and Queens of the Stone Age. And during this year, like, I think it was like six months, a year long tour, um, realizing that they went, you know, from zero to a million, um, they just kind of got burnt out and they were expecting more, I guess, from fame and <laughs> stardom other than just people recognizing you on the streets and whatnot. Yeah, they were and a definite I, buzz band to use the uh, the parlance of, of the mid-2000s. Yeah, and I mean, 2000s, we didn't know any better. There were, I guess <laughs> there was a bit of an ego battle between the uh, drummer and vocalist and the oh. lead and the uh, bassist and you know so they ended up breaking up after burning out and just kind of falling out of touch or connection um didn't uh really do anything they ended up reuniting at south by southwest in 2009 as like a uh a show and then kind of reconnected made amends and then in 2010 they put out physical world um which um you know like you and i previously discussed um their first album comes from a dance punk genre that kind of went by the wayside and to release an album that's very similar, um, to their, you know, record that debuted 10 years earlier, Mm -hmm. um, to such a huge, um, response. It, uh, I think it was definitely unnerving for them, but, um, apparently they tried to experiment and just go crazy and do, something that was completely different outside of the realm of their first, you know, dance punk album and nothing worked. So they kind of just went back to their tried and true formula and, you know, here is physical world. So this was, um, the experimentation was during uh, essentially what the recordings for physical world would become. Yeah. When they reunited in like 2009 or slightly before that to, you know, start jamming together and get ready for that, Mm -hmm. uh, reunion show, Um, They kind of, you know, started just going to try crazy new things. Um, They both, you know, had their own side projects and music that they were working on the last, you know, from 2004 to 2014. So it wasn't, um, 
you know, I, they weren't like rusty or anything like that. So honestly, when you go and, and listen to Romantic Rights and then go listen to this album 10 years later, um, it picks up exactly where that first album left off. Yeah, listen. You can tell they've matured a little bit for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they joke a lot about all the fuck ups that they had on the first album. Just because it's punk, you're allowed to have this low production quality where you're dropping picks on the ground or, yeah. you know, just a shit chord that you play. Like that's <laughs> acceptable in the punk community. And they knew, you know, going into the new album at least that um, they could play so much better. And so a lot of that is self evident in the in the recording itself and the production value too. So. Definitely. Yeah, listening to it recently, it does feel like the sophomore album that would have come out, you know, two or three years following uh, Romantic Rights, uh, higher production values, but still very much the same uh, uh, kinetic sort of energy that that you know really really marked the first album. Um, but yeah, just just with some of the uh, the edges sanded down a little bit, a little a little bit higher fidelity, um, but still very much reliant on that interesting interplay between. Not that it's drum and bass music, but between the drums and between the bass. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, so uh, it's 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 primarily two members, right? Um, yeah, Sebastian Granger is that how you say it? Yeah, and then yeah. I, I don't know the other guy's name. Oh yeah, they're also from Toronto. Jesse, which was a dance. Jesse, Jesse Toronto. Something. Jesse, Jesse Kennedy or something. Smollett. Yeah. Jesse Keeler. Jesse Keeler. Smol- Jesse Smollett is look. I don't yeah, think not at all that's related. That's <laughs> he, he's 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 ex Death Room Above nineteen seventy nine. Jesse Smollett used to be in Death Room Above nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. So in the same. At least that's same. that's the rumor, right? No one can confirm. Um, right. right. But uh, yeah, so uh, I think uh, um, Sebastian. Um, either operated or still operates under is he Starfucker? or he has some dj name right yeah i think so but spelled all caps s t r f or matt um is it master wait is it mastercraft is it i don't know oh it will it's definitely one of those i think you may you may be right sasha unfortunately okay yeah no no He's someone who did a thing once. Anyway, people know him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys remember, or for those of us who were living in the city uh, before uh, Physical World was going to come out, um, uh, tech, textless signs started going up everywhere with their their very iconic, you know, heads heads back to back icon. Um, Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, as this like vi- viral marketing push um, that was pretty effective because, mm-hmm. you know, for those of us who were familiar with their iconography, it was very apparent like, oh, this is a, a, a death from above 1979 thing. Um, I but, saw those stickers everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm sure it must have been a little bit confusing for the, for people who didn't know what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, I think have, a lot. There's a lot to say about like power duos, though. Um when they're like so, I don't know, outspoken but work well together, there's mm-hmm. something really appealing to just a two-piece band versus like a, you know, huge instrumental band, mm-hmm. at least in uh, my opinion. You know, that that bootstrapping mentality is very enticing. And this is pretty consistent with uh, another band that you've championed on this podcast, The Dodos, <laughs> who is primarily a, a two-person band, correct? For sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, have you seen Death Room of 1979 in concert? No, I would love to, though. There's a few bands I've added to the list this week. So Yeah, it feels like it'd be a riot, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right? Right, right. Right, all right. Just to, you know, cover the music, um, Virgins is probably one of their most known, had the most mm-hmm. coverage from uh, Physical World, but I like the two <laughs> opening tracks, Cheap Talk and Right on Frankenstein. Yeah. They feel as right on, frenetic and dancey as the original, like you know, counterparts. Mm-hmm. In a way. 
Yeah, uh, one of the things that I really loved about their first album, Romantic Rights, was how it, a lot of their songs felt like they were going to fall apart. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it felt very slapped together. Not, not in that the song craft wasn't there. It's just I think the production lent that aesthetic to it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do feel a little bit of their allure was lost with the higher production values, but also obviously there are benefits to that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for like that. Um, you know, when a song ends off really strong and then the guitarist just has crazy distortion and they just leave it and then it starts reverberating and like getting to a higher frequency, you know, that's leading into like yeah. a banger of a second yeah. track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So any album that has a pretty solid opening track and leads into like a, you know, amazing second track, uh, I get pretty hyped about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Nice. All right, Mike, uh, any parting words that you want to share with us regarding Death from Above 1979's Physical World? Uh, no, no, I pretty much covered it. Yeah, just check out their um, check out their first two albums. They got a new one from a, like three years ago. It's pretty decent, but... Um, Don't feel yeah. quite as enthusiastic about it as you do uh, the first two? Yeah, just check out You're a Woman, I'm a Machine. And the, the song Romantic, right, is... Probably their most well-known song. It's classic. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Um, all right. Who of the red beshirted uh, <laughs> ladies of the uh, of, of the uh, the Did You Bring Earplugs <laughs> podcast would like to go next? <clears throat> so that's just covering her face with her hair. So I feel like she's uh, she's she's yielding the floor to Jillian. I will champion you in this moment, Sasha. I will go next if you would. If you would love that. Jillian, take sure. us away. <laughs> um, so for my album, I picked Honey by Robin. Um, it had been eight years since her last album, so I think that falls well within our criteria of a comeback. Certainly people does. Been, yeah. People have been wanting to hear from her for a really long time. Um, and I remember the first time I heard her first hints of a comeback was um, I was watching the final season of Girls on HBO, and she worked, I think, pretty closely with that show, at least like soundtrack wise. Um, and she wasn't even done with the track Honey yet, um, but like sent it over and had them use it for a specific scene. And I heard it and I was like, oh, my God, this song is so addicting already. Like I already knew it was Robin, but I was like trying to figure out frantically if it was a song that I didn't know yet. And then after a ton of research, I realized that it was um, the first hint at a new uh, new record and that record did not end up coming out for like another year and a half. She like revised the track honey probably a million times before she actually released it. And also there's a, a party that they hold in Brooklyn. I think it's almost monthly, like a Robin party where they only play Robin mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And she just showed up and played the finalized track of that. And then announced like when she was going to release the album honey. So I thought that was a pretty cool flex. She's a pretty cool person. Yeah. So to so to to go off the girls thing, um, I remember when the first season of Girls was airing, and before mm-hmm. <laughs> before we, we we started to learn about how. Mm, to put it lightly, odd. Horrible. To put it directly, Lena horrible. Yeah, Lena yeah. Dunham is. Um, I remember. I think it's episode two or three. 
that closes with uh, Dancing on My Own and the AV Club in their recap making a point to, to how, how like culminative it, it felt. It felt like a, like a, re- a really um, <coughs> um, like succinct synthesis of that show's sort of aesthetic. Um, yeah. But, you know, the less said about Lena Dunn, the better. Uh, the more right. said about Robin, the better. Mm-hmm. Conversely, so continue, please. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, it had been eight years since her last album. Um, she released this in late October 2018 on her own label, which she always does, Konnichiwa Records. Um, and it's her eighth album, which I think is super uh, Crazy. wild. Because <laughs> yeah. you literally look at her discography on Spotify and you literally think it's going to be that one album that she came out with when you were in second grade and that like nothing ever happened until body talk happened. Yeah. But in reality, every like three ish years, she mm-hmm. put out something new and just like nothing was catching until like body talk pretty much. But what a return that was. I wouldn't call it a comeback because technically she was producing mm-hmm. quite a bit of music at that point, but um, her big commercial success, I'd say. And she um, had a crazy popular hit off the first album, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Show Me Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I was yeah. obsessed with that song. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. Um, she also started writing this album after one of her best friends and collaborators died and mm-hmm. after a big breakup. So I really can't think wow. of like... <laughs> other circumstances that would make that a more um i don't know but that's an easy time to write i bet yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of feelings going on there um mm-hmm. but especially as an artist of her caliber and having like writing partners that are like that close to you you know it would probably feel like a really sobering experience to have to make your music and like the formula that you've you know ironed out after all these years by yourself so i think she took a good long time putting this all together but it really it was a hit it was um a big success pitchfork gave it an 8.5 out of 10 pretty good for them i'd say um and they were like really really great reviews um my favorite obviously <laughs> I love the track, it's a honey. bunch of sophie's choices it's mm-hmm. so tough Missing You is so good. Um, Ever Again is so good. Baby Forgive Me is so good. Pretty much, if you listen to the whole album, you're not going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I found this quote, and I thought it was pretty pretty cool. She said um, that the album represents this place like a soft ecstasy. I danced a lot when I was making it. I found sensuality and softness, and I don't think I was able to use it in the same way before. Everything just became softer. I was like, okay, Robin, it sure did. (laughs) Wow. See, I had the opposite problem where I was listening to this highly sensual album in my office (laughs) and I had an office boner. You know, it happens. (laughs) Robin got softer, Mike got harder. You know, sometimes it happens. Um, no, that's really that's really interesting too because uh, I, I, so a few of us were lucky enough to see her headline um, uh, last year's Pitchfork Music Festival, and yeah. the the stage was was awash in this like very flowy fabric. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting mm-hmm. that she sort of took that um, I don't know that that feeling and, and translated it to a, a physical presence in her stage show. Right. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Um, yeah, and 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 Robin, it's it's not as if in in the intervening eight years she was completely inactive. I, I think she she had a slight <clears throat> resurgence in popularity because she did that song with Royksop, right? Mm-hmm. Where where like you know she was a feature, obviously, but like Royksop is a production duo, and and so the, yeah. the the prominent part of that song is is Robin's voice. But um, but yeah, it, it was a it was a, there was a real dearth of Robin for those eight years, and um, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's interesting that she she's had these like ebbs in popularity where obviously like body talk was, was pretty seminal to like this, uh, this almost like dance rock scene. Um, but it felt like everyone is a little, a little bit behind the curve. Like, but I think by the time, you know, dancing on my own and call your boyfriend, call your girlfriend, girlfriend. whichever, (laughs) call your significant other. Um, um, got popular like that. Those albums had been out for a while and there, and then 
I'm still a little frustrated with like the strange release of the Body Talk series of albums. But yeah, there's Body Talk Part One and Two, and then just like regular Body Talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. (laughs) Great albums. Yeah, I don't know. Confusing, confusing rollout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honey is a, a fantastic mm-hmm. album. I, I, during your intro to the album, Jillian, I was like thinking about the songs and getting, feeling very emotional, just thinking about the songs. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love like how many people love her. Um, mm-hmm. Like when, when the single started coming out, um, Mike Kinsella from American football was posting about it like in his stories as posts on Instagram, just like how good it was. And I'm like, Oh man, I just love how her music reaches so many different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I no. And, and, and not to, not to spoil anything, but I think she shares a certain, um, her music shares a certain aesthetic with, uh, another popular dance rock act in that, the subject material, the subject matter of the songs can be very heavy. I mean, she also has sort of, sort of her very like basic like dance tracks that are just you know fun bops. But mm-hmm. if you really start to dig into the lyrics, they're they're very meaningful. They're very personal. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the superficial experience of listening to her music is 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 very just you know pleasing. Um, but yeah. then once you start to go a few layers deeper, you realize that there's there's some you know, a lot of care and consideration is put into each and every aspect of the song and that and they're not just made to move bodies on a dance floor. Yes. Yeah. One of her collaborators also said that he had to adjust when he started helping her with that album because mm. her emotional transparency was overwhelming. And um, it took him a little bit to understand that it was so in- integral to what she does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I-, I can only imagine someone who's like, capable of writing that clearly and that beautifully like what the process would be to to get to that point and like how much of yourself you'd have to show to any kind of collaborator and Mm -hmm. just think about i mean to use an american analog britney spears who Mm -hmm. found a lot of success at a very young age and you know the rest of her career essentially was just sort of this spiral away from any vestige of reality or 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 you know, art, artistic integrity. And yeah. Robin, I think, probably experienced something similar earlier her earlier on in her career, but sort of took the opposite route of, you know, throughout the, you know, decade plus that she was active or that she's at, been active, you know, getting closer and closer to her authentic artistic self. Yeah. She took ownership of that, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to go along <clears throat> with what you were saying about her collaborator on this album, Jillian, uh, having seen only a scant few interviews and and like video clips of her just talking she does the way she carries herself does feel a little bit extraterrestrial um Mm -hmm. and that she she seems very like um i don't know (laughs) yeah well even watching her perform too you can see that Mm -hmm. you know for sure Mm -hmm. she does dance with a reckless abandon that is very admirable (laughs) (laughs) yeah All right, Jillian, any last words you would like to leave us uh, about Honey by Robin? No, listen to Robin. Feel better. Mm -hmm. It's great. All right, Sasha. uh, Same time. Oh, I I, I think, you know, we we just we got to move into yours because it's it's a a good segue. Yeah, 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 indeed. Speaking of dancing idiots. Huh? Okay. Um, so are you calling us I'm, dancing idiots or who's the dancing idiot? Um, what dancing you're dancing idiots? I'm speaking figuratively clean. here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Idiots dance clean. You <laughs> dance like if you dance like an idiot, you dance yourself clean basically. Um, so yeah, so I'm choosing LCD Sound Systems American Dream.
Um, this album came out in September of 2017. Um, so just a little bit of history. Um, the band formed in 20 or 2002 in New York City. Um, before their first few release, they released some singles, um, including one of my favorites, Movement. But I think it was mm -hmm. it was on their self-titled album mm -hmm. that was released in 2005. And right away, they were pretty much, you know, a big deal. And they became a, a, stamp, a staple in dance music. And as we said, they have this very, um, they have a, a place in, in this, this world of this genre of music. Um, and... So they released The Sound of Silver after their first release. And then after that, they released This Is Happening. And I think not that long after it was released, they announced that they were going to be disbanding. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the definitive reason, but from what I can remember, it seems like James Murphy was like basically just like sick. Yeah, just of tired of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he's getting sick of it. And he was also, it seemed like he was also going through like some personal demons. Mm -hmm. um, and like I think he was going through a divorce at the time too and stuff like that. So he was dealing with a lot. But, um, you know, they went out with a huge show at Madison Square Garden. Uh, a huge series, series of shows. Yeah, right. And, and, um, but yeah, in April of that year. And I, I, um, and then after they, that show, they released a DVD of that concert, and I think the uh, concert they have an also they also have a live album um, that they released that in 2014. So on to American Dream. Um, as I had said, it was released in 2017, and it was really well received. I believe Pitchfork gave it like an 8.5 or something. Rolling Stone gave it like a, I think a four and a half out of five, or something like that. So it was a it was. Um, it was, it was extremely well received, and I personally think it's my favorite of theirs. Um, like most of the music that I listen to now, I feel like I tend to get into bands after their heyday. Um, so I was a little more privy to like the album previous to this. Um, so like American Dream was sort of like was the first album I'd listened to, like all the singles being released, and then listened to the album in full. And um, it felt like I was almost being like reintroduced into the band in a way. And so I grew, I grew really attached to this album. I would probably say it was my favorite album of that year. Um, I, I really love like the honesty in this album. It's like full of dread and fear and loss and also like political messaging. Um, and like kind of like you said, like um, I, I think we all sort of enjoy music that, you know, where the, the messaging sort of surprises us. And it's like, it's kind of opposing the sonic nature of the music. Mm -hmm. um, so like a song like Call of Police mm -hmm. uh, is, you know, <laughs> sort of a direct response to everything that was going on at the time. And honestly, you could apply that to everything going on now. think that this album is pretty in general is I feel like it could always be a pretty timely thing um but that song in particular is about like fear-mongering and misinformation in the news and like the lyric that um it moves like a virus and enters our skin is just so like uh it, it's just too relevant right yeah, now too pressure. To what we're going through. Um, it's incredible um like just with how easy it is to um misinterpret and be misinformed and that shit just spreads so fucking easily mm -hmm. it's like it's so poignant right now i think um and again like i think you can just apply this album to a lot of what's going on right now because there's a lot about like the fear and dread of getting older and um and i also like that i feel like it's kind of funny that the album is called american dream because it feels like it's a very like tongue-in-cheek and like intentional dig at like at American culture and how it really isn't as dreamlike as, you know, it's perceived. Um, so I love that. Um, there's also a lot relating to like 
like I said, like aging and basking in nostalgia. Um, like in one of my favorite songs, I used to um, talks a lot about how like he used to do all these things as like a young punk, and <laughs> now he's sort of growing older and and maybe missing that a bit. Um, so yeah, I I I just really love this album. I think it's even as a thirty one year old, I can relate to some of like the fear and. But also like the the recognition recognition of like your own mortality and stuff, and I think that's something that a lot of people people are facing right now too. So, um, so yeah, like I I think it's just so timely, and um, yeah, I just really love it. And I I I also wanted to highlight another one of my favorites, emotional haircut. Oh, it's so funny! It's so goddamn funny! It's so like how many how many of how many people got emotional haircuts during quarantine like for real let's be honest like, <laughs> um so, this song is for you if that's yeah. if that's yeah. <laughs> was your little quarantine get up Yeah, love the album so much. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, I mean, even even from the <clears> early <throat> days of oh, I have I hear myself. Even from the early days of LCD Sound System, you know, uh, James Murphy has been old. <laughs> you know, one of one yeah. of the earliest. He was what, like thirty two, I think, or thirty. I, I think he... in his thirties, yeah. and one one of their first hits was uh, "Losing My Edge." Losing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's had this very self-reflective, um, tendency, you know, even from the early days, but the music has just gotten better and better as, as mm -hmm. the band has gone on. Um, it's become more of a, more of a band, more of a, um, a collaborative act. Um, and yeah, it, it, American dream definitely feels like a culmination. I, I was struck by how like cheesy sounds bad, but it's cheese with a, with a, high degree of sincerity so mm -hmm. you can't mock it and it it becomes totally. compelling especially yeah. for the first sort of maybe four or five tracks on the album um mm -hmm. when there are these very like uh <laughs> over the top production and 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 melodic flourishes that are going on um mm -hmm. totally but they but you know lcd sound system being who they are they lean into everything so it ends up working totally yeah. Absolutely agree. Um, yeah, I, I think um, their performance of Call the Police and I, I forget the other song that they performed on SNL, but it's one of it the only. Oh, no, it's American Dream. Yeah. Um, one of the best SNL performances that I've ever seen. And oh. SNL is a show that's known for mixing their performers badly. Um, yeah. But they, they rose above that and, and delivered a, yeah, an astonishing know. performance. So great. I go. I I can't find it online anywhere, but I want to. <laughs> I like love that performance so much. I watched their Austin City Limits performance mm -hmm. quite a bit. That's online. So when I'm looking for live content, yeah. Jillian, were you gonna say something? Um, no, I just really loved that performance of American Dream on SNL too, and also I love like the similarities. They're so different, but they're so similar. Win Butler and the lead singer of. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's LCD's singer's name again? James Murphy. Yeah. Yes. Um, and wasn't it even Wynn Butler that like said the quote that they ended up naming their documentary, Shut Up and Play the Hits? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So I love it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, so to put a capper on that, um, if, if you're interested in, in, James Murphy doesn't exactly tell the story of the breakup. He sort of hints at it um, mm -hmm. in Shut Up and Play the Hits. But yeah, it's, it's sort of three quarters, um, uh, you know, performance. Um, or like concert film and then one quarter sort of a, a profile of James Murphy as he's being um, interviewed by Chuck Klosterman. Klosterman? Mm. I forget. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, concert film. Um, mm -hmm. Movement in particular, 
there's yeah. a moment during the documentary or during the, the movie where there's this bird's eye view shot of the pit that erupts during yeah. movement. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen that performance. it's yeah. amazing. amazing. It's yeah. so exhilarating. Uh, yeah. That song is, uh, I, that's probably yeah. my, one of my favorites of theirs of all time. Um, we've only, I've, we've seen them play it, but it got into the pit, fortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and they're a band that, that is definitely not satisfied resting on their laurels. Um, when we got to see mm-hmm. them at, at, again, at Pitchfork Music Festival, um, you know, they, they played the utterly ubiquitous dance, uh, Daft Punk is playing at my house, but they mm-hmm. like, they sort of degraded it and made it this like yeah. scrappy sort of like dis- not discordant, but like distortion heavy, um, mm-hmm. you know, dance track. And I mean, they, they could have just put on a CD and press play and people would have <laughs> lost their shit at, at Daft Punk is playing at my house, but they, yeah. they like, they, they made it something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always appreciate that. Yeah. Um, just one more thing I want to share from seeing LCD Sound System at Pitchfork that was delightful that um, proves that music can be a cohesive force um, so you know you're, you're standing around waiting for the bands to start and it's getting more and more crowded and I think w- in our very close proximity there was a group of like three or four of like the broiest bro dudes mm-hmm. that you have ever broed and yeah. of course we're just like sitting there not so silently hating them. And then once the band, like once the band starts, like we're all just like this mass of, of bodies moving mm-hmm. and loving the same music. And I was like, you know what? I, I love everybody that's around me right now. I would like never forget, forget those guys ever. Like no joke. They sang, <laughs> sang along. To they loved, they track. were singing along to everything. Like yep. they were so into it. And it was so really hyped. cute actually. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. especially during like all my friends, they were like hugging and yeah. like, it was, jumping, it was and jumping together. It was very unison. cute. Yeah. I think, I think we need to have a hangout session with those guys. And then the other group of bros that knew every Isley brothers tune. Yeah. <laughs> the next book that we went to. <laughs> yeah. Oh my but, God. But, I forgot about them. They were That's like so a cool. different type of bro. Like yeah. the LCD sound system bros were like frat bros. And yeah. then the other bros were like, Absolutely. like finance bros. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Finance bros. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my so God. Fun. I completely forgot about them. That's so funny. Amazing. Uh. All right, Sasha, any, uh, any last words regarding LCD sound systems, American dream. Um, just fucking listen to it. It's just so good. It's it's definitely a little longer, you know, but I think that it's worth it to sit through it and just kind of listen to it. And then yeah. at the at the end, I think I love the the way that it that it ends with an instrumental song. I yeah. think that's great. Which you, you know? don't have to listen to the entirety of. It, it ends with two yeah. twelve minute plus songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, it, and the way it. it the way it listens, it's very soothing and like mm-hmm. you can eventually just fade it out if you want to, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I think it's great. Oh, such a good album. All righty. Uh, I guess it is my turn. Uh, so the album that I'm going to talk about today is Slater Kinney's No Cities to Love. Um, this was released on January 20th, 2015, 10 years after their previous album, which was 2005's The Woods. Um, it's Slater Kinney's eighth studio album, um, and it basically signaled their return. Um, so The Woods was released in 2005, and actually, Sasha, to go off of something that you were saying earlier, I also felt like I, w- I was just getting into this band at, mm-hmm. at the height of their their artistic success and popularity, and then they go and break up. Mm-hmm. Um so this this album is is super important to me. It, it's it's like a landmark in my my tenure of living in Chicago. Um, it, it's just uh, I have so much to say about it. Um, so Slater Kinney, for those who don't know, is this uh, seminal uh, Riot Girl come you know prog rock, pop rock, new wave, just beast of a band. Um, you probably know Carrie Brownstein. Um, so 
Slater Kinney was on hay or, or broken up for, for 10 years, um, during which, uh, the various members, uh, Carrie Brownstein, Janet Weiss, and, uh, uh, Corinne Tucker did lots of stuff. Uh, Carrie Brownstein was perhaps the most prolific. Um, she became a, a prominent social figure for a number of different reasons. Um, starting with, uh, her NPR music column called monitor mix that she wrote for three years. Um, she acted a bunch, um, most prominently um, in Portlandia that started uh, ran from 2011 to 2018. Um, she also played in the sort of supergroup Wild Flag with Janet Weiss of Slater Kinney, Mary Timoney of Helium, um, and Rebecca Cole of The Minders. Um, I actually got to see Wild Flag, and they fucking rocked. Oh, I honestly wish they would come out with another album because I liked... Um, it was basically like... It gave Carrie Brownstein and and Mary Timoney room to do like a total classic prog rock experiment um, without mm-hmm. like having to adhere to you know whatever the established aesthetic of their past bands were. But I digress. Um, Corinne Tucker uh, continued to play music in the Corinne Tucker Band, um, who released albums in 2010 and 2011. Um, Janet Weiss as one of Maybe the most underrated drummers in rock and roll um, played with Quasi, The Jicks, um, which features Stephen Mal- uh, Stephen Malcolmus of Pavement, um, and she also played in Wild Flag, as I mentioned. Uh, but as it goes, you, you know, you, you don't give up on your sisters. So uh, around two thousand, I believe it was two thousand thirteen. Um, they sort of the three of them sort of started talking again. And, um, you know, those, se- those talks would turn into sessions and that turned into, uh, no cities to love. Um, in the intervening years, it, it doesn't feel like they, they changed as artists. Um, but no cities, I think out of their entire catalog is perhaps the most accessible or, or up until that point was the most, uh, accessible. Um, their sound kind of especially compared to the woods became a lot leaner. Um, but again, more accessible. Um, for me, knowing that a new Slater Kinney album was coming out, it was the feeling of, well, I've missed out on this thing forever, but now I get a chance to experience it. Um, Mm. I was lucky enough to see them. I forget the venue they played, but on their reunion tour, um, I still have that poster hanging in my room because again, very, very important moment in music history to me. Fun fact about that show, um, the opener was was a pre-fame Lizzo uh, performing yeah. to a relatively indifferent, but then pretty bought-in uh, sea of like you know post-punk and like you know former punk white people um, who certainly did not know what to make of Lizzo. Um, I think you know when I'm the the, the you know, the stereotype of like telling your grandkids that you saw radio had a, like, like a little 10 person venue. I think that's going to be the story that I tell my grandchildren. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, no cities to love was basically adored when it came out. Uh, it, it was clear that people were really, <clears throat> there was, it, it felt like it was time for Slater Kinney to return. Um, gender politics and music seemingly had not improved in the intervening years. Um, and their return was, you know, definitely, uh, appreciated. Um, it does feel, however, that in those 10 years, people sort of caught up with Slater Kinney. Um, and by the time it came out, like there was, there was a lot of very prominent support, uh, behind the album. Mm -hmm. Um, case in point, uh, the video for No Cities to Love features in order of appearance, Fred Armisen, Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance, Envy oh. Adams herself, Brie Larson, Ellen Page, Natasha fucking Leone, Andy Samberg, a.k.a. Angry Sandwich, Connie, <laughs> Connie Britton, who is the most inexplicable of the bunch, who was on the show Nashville. Oh my God. Miranda July, one of Hideo Kojima's two best friends that isn't Mad, Mads Mikkelsen, a.k.a. Norman Reedus, Sarah Silverman, Evan Rachel Woods, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, sorry, uh, Jay Mascus. The guy from Dinosaur Jr. Yeah. I, I don't know how to say mm-hmm. his name. Um, and Vanessa Bayer. Um, so, like, a few pretty famous people in there. Granted, maybe that. Brie Larson wasn't Miss Marvel by that time, but, like, she was, like, a prominent actress. She was about to win an Oscar. She was close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Reedus is also, I feel, an outlier in that list. <laughs> but it's, like, it's delightful. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, and, and then I didn't take this note, but I, I, it just occurred to me that, uh, Lauren Bouchard of Bob's Burgers made a music video for Slater Kinney featuring the characters in Bob's Burgers, uh, mm-hmm. for the song, a new wave. Um, so I remember that. There's like a snotty teenage punk inside me that will never truly die. And that snotty teenage punk did feel like, oh, Slater Kinney has gone mainstream. But in retrospect, it just sort of proves that Slater Kinney recognizes that the music and the aesthetic of the music is simply a vessel for the message because they've, they've, they've never lost their incisiveness, especially when it comes to, you know, sociopolitical commentary and even more introspective, more emotionally driven song content. Um, but they genre hop, you know, they started out as this, like I said, a seminal riot girl group, um, definitely sort of just making music in the vein of bikini kill. Um, their first album, I think it's a self-titled, um, sounds like a bikini kill album. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but even, uh, you know, as soon as their, their next album called the doctor, like they were sort of breaking out from that. And then each subsequent album just sort of got farther and farther away from that and, and closer and closer to what Slater Kinney would adopt as their own sound. Um, culminating Mm -hmm. for the first time in the woods, which was like essentially a, uh, a prog rock album and is like, I think still my favorite album of theirs, uh, you know, to this day. Um, but then with no cities to love, they sort of transition to, um, I guess this like sort of alternative, a little bit proggy, a little bit post-punk, a little bit new wave sound. Um, and then their most recent album, um, it just flew Center, won't hold. Center won't hold. Um, is, very new wave inspired, very pop rock. Um, we'll get into that later though. Um, some highlights for me. Um, it's, 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 you know, the entire album hits pretty hard for me, but, um, price tag, the lead track on the album is like a great reintroduction to, to the band and their sound. Um, surface envy, a new wave, which I mentioned, um, features or, or has a great video. Gimme Love, uh, Bury Our Friends, which was the uh, lead single for the album um, and definitely was like a really great portend of of the quality of the music to come. And then Mm -hmm. Hey Darling, which apparently is a very divisive song, having done some reading on the internet. A lot of people do not like that song. And I I realize that like the the chorus melody is a little like sophomoric, but... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Any any song where Corinne Tucker gets to like stretch her vocal cords is is an is an alright song for me. Yes. Um but yeah, it, you know, it was just it like it was just nice to have the band back. And even if they released a mediocre album, I think I still would have been pretty satisfied. But they released a great album. So I was happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh No Cities to Love by Slater Kinney. Kenny. Uh, so we're back from a brief hiatus. Um, <laughs> the world has changed. I won't say gone back to normal, but it's different now. Um, some of us are quarantining still. Some people aren't. Whatever. Anyway, that is all to say that we are going back to songs <gasps> over the week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's go back around the table, starting back with Mike. Mike, give us your song for the week. Yeah, so my song for the week is Where Did, Where'd All the Time Go by Dr. Dog. I recently discovered. I love that. Um, it's an amazing track. Really, really good track. Uh, it opens with like a really catchy trance-like sound effect loop, but then it 
quickly pivots into like a vintage sounding rock song that has blasts a drum and hooks alongside those that really just make the song super catchy. Um, the song just absolutely romanticizes nostalgia and the feeling of love, but the passage of time changing everything. Um, and damn, this summer, I feel like where did all the time go? Cause <laughs> it is just flying by. So this song was really pertinent when um, I discovered it last week and uh, I'm just, yeah, absolutely blown away by Dr. Dog. Um, yeah. I am this track. This can't is such believe, a good track. I can't believe you'd never heard that before. <laughs> better, better late than never. So. I'd say the description you just made for that song is pretty true of their entire discography. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah. Pretty solid, like for an artist mm-hmm. to keep up that level. I love Dr. Dog. The first time I heard of Dr. Dog, I there's some... I think maybe there's a an artist from like the 60s and 70s, I think maybe called Moondog. It was like like a hippie. I don't know, probably some bullshit. But I was like, I, I, I was getting those two confused. So I was like, why is everyone into this like weird <laughs> beatnik dude from the 60s and 70s all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> but so you're telling me that Dr. Dog is a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Jillian, song for the week. My song for the week is The Tide by La Force. Um, it's, oh, La Force is Ariel Engel, who's actually a recent member of Broken Social Scene. Hmm. So I feel like that alone could make you be able to imagine what her voice probably sounds like. It's very ethereal, very pretty, but, um, I don't know, the way she puts her, her music together is also very catchy. I don't know how they do it, but it's very reminiscent of Broken Social Scene and stars and metric and they're all like collaborating mm-hmm. together so nice. it all makes sense but um this popped up on uh one of my playlists as like a song that they thought i might like and spoiler alert i did so <laughs> <laughs> whoa <laughs> shocker yeah okay i have a question yeah sort of related did anyone in the world listen to emily haynes solo album Knives don't have your back. I know that I know that a few songs have been on like my Discover Weeklies. It's no, really, remember. really good. Sounds nothing like metric. It's very piano driven, but Ooh. holy fuck, can yeah. can Emily Haynes write a solo song? She's so good. She is great. Goosebumps. Yeah. And actually, bring it bring it all back around. She wrote the song. That Brie Larson performed in Scott Pilgrim versus the uh, whatever the movie version right. was as yeah. Clash of Demon Head as Envy Adams. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, it's it's, bon- it's bonkers. <laughs> Love it. Lore of it. All right, Sasha, what's your song for the Wii? So I just want to start off by saying that I decided that I want to be better about sharing more black artists on the show. Okay. Uh, just because I think there's so many out there that deserve a lot more visibility. So I am picking a song called Can't Fight by Leanne Le Havis. Leanna Le Havis, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so this is an artist that I've actually listened to before, like, but I, I, it's been a while and I haven't listened as much as I should be. Um, she's definitely a very vocal heavy artist. Like she has an incredibly 
amazing, just amazing singing oh. voice like butter. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been releasing some new music slowly. And I think she, I think her new album either comes out this week or next. It's very soon. Um, but um, she, you know, she don't know who she is. She's an English uh, singer and songwriter. Um, was sort of like an alt folk, soul, bluesy, R&B feel to her. Um, and she's actually had quite a big career. She actually was a, uh, I think she contributed to Prince's Ooh. 2014 album. And she also has collaborated with Alt J. So she's got kind of a name for herself out there. Um, um, but yeah, the song is really good. And this, I recommend all her new singles, actually. Um, so definitely check her out. Sasha, have you seen her La Blaga Tech? performance no oh my god it's my favorite favorite one of the la blaga text it's so good it's her nice. just walking through a, and she's got a little amp like an amp this mm-hmm. big like little through pocket one of her, amp. Like, uh what is it like a belt hole in her short and she's playing oh, yeah. the card she's like walking down the street and it's so good i look it up probably like once a month like because I just like need to see it. It's such a perfect live performance. Nice. Yeah, she's been, I think she's actually doing like a live performance too that you can like buy tickets to on Friday, I believe, which I'm probably going to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just a quick note, this uh, episode will come out after that performance airs. So look, it up, look it up on YouTube. <laughs> look it up on YouTube. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> nice. Anyway. Thank you, Sasha. Um, so I mentioned that we'll get into Center Won't Hold a little bit later, and that is where my song for the week is coming from, uh, because obviously researching No Cities to Love sent me on a Slater Kinney-shaped hole. Um, Center Won't Hold, uh, people have mixed feelings about it. Um, I personally like it a lot. My feelings are also very complicated because it basically caused Janet Weiss to leave the band, which mm-hmm. was a loss because they are a triumvirate, you know, Slater mm-hmm. Kinney for the vast majority of their career was Carrie, Janet and Corinne. And now it's Carrie and Corinne and two strangers. <laughs> that being said, I really, really, really liked center won't hold. And, uh, this week <laughs> I am recommending the dog slash the body. Basically, it's just about being fucking exhausted. Um, uh, I think reading into the lyrics, I think it's about a relationship. Uh, I, I can't say romantic or otherwise, but just about a relationship that has been stretched to the point, not not to a breaking point, but um, it's, it's like when you stretch a rubber band for such a long time that just mm-hmm. the fibers just get tired and loose and, mm-hmm. and it, it's just, it's worn reaching out. a point, of, yeah, worn out, reaching a point of exhaustion uh, that sort of leads to a sense of apathy. But um, speaking to the dynamic between the verses and the chorus, um, there is a certain sense of liberation that can come with being that fucking tired. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it often leads to giving very few fucks. Um, and I think that's what the song is about, if I'm not misreading it. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's The Dog Slash The Body uh, from Slater Kinney's The Center Won't Hold, which is not as bad as people made of, may have made it out to be it's not it's catchy yeah. it's a catchy ass album some real being some really harsh ones. yeah that's pretty good janet we miss you but center road holds a good album mm-hmm. folks that's going to do it for this episode of did you bring earplugs we've done it we did it <clears throat> we thank you for joining We're us um, our, our theme song yeah. is still brought to you by josh stanley of modaf you can find out more about modaf at Bandcamp. wait how does it work modaf yeah modaf.bandcamp.com that's M-O-D-A-F-F dot bandcamp.com you can follow us on the socials 
on, well, one of the socials, uh, at DYBEpod. And you can email us at DYBEpod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We know you're out there. We know you're listening. We love you. All five of you. All five of you. Well, four of you. One of you knows what you did. Um, But yeah, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to have a follow or an email. She knows what she did. Uh, (laughs) Until until next time, folks. Uh, I've been Julian, as they keep saying my name. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been Sasha. I'm Michael. I'm Julian. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Adios. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? We're scaring the cat. Like, she's like, oh. ears perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does look unimpressed. She's so <laughs> she's oh. Oh. She's Sleep ill. Sleepy girl. Sleepy girl. Sleepy.